We are in Luke 8, 26 through 39. Great passage. Starting in 26. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and been driven by demon, driven by the demon into the solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave, to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God. Good morning. Well, we are in the middle of this Encounters with Jesus series, just another run-of-the-mill encounter here, I think. Uh, Tina was reading, and, and Joel was right next to me, and, and talking about the pigs. And they're like, why do they want to go in the pigs? He asked me, like, why do you want to go? I'm like, I have absolutely no idea. I, don't, I have no idea what's happening in this passage. Uh, um, yeah, wild, right? Uh, I'll just tell you, of all the encounters we'll look at in this series, this is, the, I think, the wildest one. You have um, a legion, thousands of demons. You have this wild man roaming the hills. You have thousands of pigs crashing into the sea. Uh, you have healing. You have a town that wants nothing to do with Jesus at the end of the story. Just wild story. And really what we have here, I think, is, is a, I would call this a power encounter. 
Right? This is a, a story of a power encounter between Jesus and the forces of evil. And, and we get these moments in the Gospels where it's like this curtain is pulled back and we're able to like just poke our heads into a whole other world Especially as Western, scientifically-minded people, we're like, I'm not even sure this, that kind of world exists. And you get just a little peek into this spiritual world and this battle that's going on. And, and for me, at least, stories like this, they, they leave me with more questions uh, than I had before I read the passage, more questions than answers. And I'm not going to be able to answer all of our questions here. I do want to focus on what, what is clear in this passage. And here it is. It's that there are forces in this world, spiritual forces that are active and bent on bringing uh, disintegration and bondage and destruction to God's image bearers, human beings. But Jesus Christ is present with power to bring healing and to bring re restoration and, and integration back into the lives of God's image bearers. And so I want to look at that story today, and I want to remind us today that Jesus Scott said this, but he's here, and he is still has the power uh, to restore and to transform human lives, and my hope is in some fresh way today, we experience his power to, to move in our lives and to, to break strongholds and, and areas where we are caught in things that are bigger and out of our control, and he can still meet us there and do fresh things in our lives, even if we've been going to church our whole lives. So let's look at this story. I, I love this. I mean, this is, this, this is great literature, make for a great movie. Um, but let's, I want to think about this man's experience, okay? I mean, let's slow down for a second. Just, just feel the brokenness and disintegration of this man's life, right? It starts where you've got one guy and speaking in the first person, like, don't torture me. And then you learn, oh, no, actually, he's not possessed by one demon. He's possessed by a legion of demons, which is probably thousands. So I have no idea how that works, but this man has been completely overrun by the spiritual forces of evil, absolutely taken over. And I want you just to look at the, the details of his life. Look at verse 27. Uh, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by this demon-possessed man. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes. Okay, so this man is naked. He is utterly un dignified. His dignity has been stripped away with his clothes. He's a naked, he's a wild man. He's almost more like a beast than a, than a human being, right? Um, verse 27 uh, says, he hadn't worn clothes or lived in a house. He is not housed. He doesn't have a home. Um, he's living among the tombs out, out, of this, out of the town. If you look down at verse 29, um, it says, he had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So he's utterly cut off um, from relationships, right? He's living naked, unhoused, alone, utterly disconnected from any relationships. And then in Mark's version of this gospel, uh, Mark's version of this story, it says he's also engaging in self-destructive behaviors. Mark says this, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones, Okay, so I was thinking of this man's experience and two words came to mind. The first is bondage, right? He is, this man is bound by an evil power that has totally taken over his life. And it's interesting, in some ways this, this 
This has made him more powerful, right? Like in verse 29, it says, though he was changed, chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chain. So he has a certain kind of power, but it's a, it's a power that is absolutely destroying his life. But he is in bondage to a power beyond himself. And the other word I thought of was just the word disintegration. Like there is not an integrated person in this man anymore, right? His, his mind is disintegrated. His, his mind is disconnected from his body. Um, he's been disconnected from all human relationships. Certainly he's been disconnected from relationship with God. So this man is just bound and disintegrated. And all of us, I mean, this is an extreme example, but all of us have seen people, right, who, who present like this man at some point. Usually you see them on the street. But a person who is... Um, whether this combination of addiction or mental illness or whatever um, has brought them to a place where they, they don't, I mean, they're not, it's not a, it doesn't feel like an image bearer. It's more like there's a wildness. And we've all seen little pockets of this in our society. And what's, what was interesting for me to think about this, this week was like, you, know, you encounter those people, they're already in that state, right? But this guy, this was a, this was a child, this was a boy at some point. This is someone's kid. Um, he may have been married. He may have had kids of his own. We don't know his story before getting overrun by these demons. But just the, the utter devastation and sadness of, a, of an image bearer who has been taken over um, by Satan. And I, 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 want just, I want us to feel that this morning. Um, because I, I want to say this. This is a very extreme example, right? But this is an extreme example of Satan's end game in this world. Meaning, like, if he could just have his way with every human being, this is what he would want to do with them. He would want to take them into this place of, of bondage and disintegration and destruction. This is, the, this is, we are seeing in this passage, the very clear end game of Satan in every human life. And I think that's really helpful to think about because we often experience the temptations that Satan brings our way, right? And when we experience those temptations, we're never thinking, oh, here's an opportunity to experience bondage, disintegration, and destruction, <laughs> right? Right, His pre he presents temptations as ways to experience freedom and, and pleasure and satisfaction. Right? It's, it's the, it's, we're at work and it's the coworker who's a little cuter and a little funnier than our spouses. Or it's we're on, we're on our computer and that ad pops up and and it's, it's that moment, or we're in an argument and there's that just deliciously cutting remark we could make and would feel so good to make, right? We, these, these don't present themselves as opportunities to experience disintegration and destruction. And so it's, it's good to remember, whatever those opportunities feel like in the moment, this is what Satan would do if he could have his way utterly in your life. And so I think the next time like we experience temptation, how great would it be is, is if this, an image of this man came to our minds. Like this is where that road would go if I just followed it all its way. And some of us know that. We've experienced um, the, the, the destruction that temptation can bring into our lives. But this, is, this man is just devastating, so sad. So uh, enter Jesus and um, enter the power of Jesus. To, to heal and restore and reintegrate and, and 
right? Restore the image of this man. And I, I want to talk about for a second, this is kind of an aside, but I want to talk about, this is a, I said this is a power encounter, right? And you, you know, what we realize is actually there's a, there's a power encounter. Jesus is vastly outnumbered. It's like 2,000 to 1, if you think about that. Um, and yet it's absolutely no contest. And what, what I noticed this week is three times in this passage you have the demons literally begging Jesus. Three times that word in the first half of this, they, they beg him, don't torture us. They beg him, don't send us into the abyss. They beg us, let us go into the pigs. They, they are reduced to begging. And I just want to explore for a second. I have so many questions, but let me just tease out what maybe is going on in this power, power encounter. It's not my main point. But um, look at verse 28. When, they see, when he saw Jesus... Uh, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? It's interesting that the demons name Jesus and give him his title. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels, like sometimes the demons are the only people who know who Jesus is? <laughs> right? Like they, they've got it real clear. And everyone else is kind of confused. But like regularly this happens. What do you want with us, Jesus, son of the most high? What is going on there? And what most scholars think is um, in the ancient world, names mean a lot. To, to give a name to somebody, right, is to, is to, to tap into who they are, their identity. So if you can name someone, uh, you, that might give you a, a level of control or, or mastery over them. And so in trying to name Jesus, they're, they're trying to gain some level of control. Jesus responds by saying in verse 3, what's your name, right? Uh, well, legion. Uh, and then you have verse 31. Uh, look at verse 31. They begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. And Luke writes that as if all of us know what the abyss is, apparently, right? I have no idea what the abyss is. Um, but I think what's happening there is um, in Matthew's version of the story, the demons say this, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Okay, and so what I think is going on here is the demons actually know what the end game is. They know that at some point God's kingdom is going to come and they will be tortured. Their end is torture in the abyss. That will be their final place of punishment is the abyss, okay, whatever, whatever that is. And they know that their time is short. They know they have this time where they're here and then that's going to happen. And now Jesus is on the scene and they're basically saying, please don't send us there now, okay? Then they beg him uh, to send them into the pigs. Mark's version tells us there are about 2,000 pigs. So I'm thinking maybe one demon per pig. I don't know how this works. I don't know if, if demons get multiple pigs. But uh, can you imagine like um, thousands of pigs on the hillside of the Sea of Galilee just, just charging the lake and drowning themselves in the lake? Okay, what, it, what on earth is happening there? Why do they want to go on the pigs? Why do the pigs rush into the sea? I don't know. Um, I'm going to tell you. Here's my understanding. It seems like the demons don't like to just be roaming about. They want a being to inhabit. They want like a creature that they can be housed in and, and inhabit and ultimately control. And so they don't want to go to the abyss, and they don't want to be roaming kind of without an embodied host, if I can put it that way. And so there's pigs nearby, and they beg Jesus to send them into the pigs. And now you have one of two options. Either when the demons get into the pigs, they possess the pigs because they're very destructive to go and kill themselves in the lake, which is what I used to think. Um, I don't think that anymore. I think what actually happens is they 
beg Jesus to send them into the pigs, not anticipating that the pigs are going to run into the lake. So, because they want to be housed in something and they don't want to go to the abyss. And Jesus allows them to go into the pigs. And then the pigs, unbeknownst to, to what their expectation was, they chase down into the lake. And essentially, the pigs go into the abyss, into the Sea of Galilee. And these demons are judged and essentially sent to the abyss, which is the very thing they didn't want. So if that's what's happening, then Jesus has utterly defeated them and kind of tricked them in the process, essentially. Okay? Um, we can talk more about that later. Um, but all of that is very unclear and food for, you know, lots of discussion. But what I want to focus on is, is what is very clear, and it's Jesus' power to heal to restore, to bring freedom and wholeness to this man. I want you to look at verse 35. I love this verse. I love the description. The people of the town went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out. Listen to this description. Sitting. Right? He's no longer restlessly roaming. And so just, you know, here and there, he's, he's at peace He's at calm. He's seated, sitting at Jesus' feet. He has had no relationships for however many years. We don't know. And now he has been restored to community, to fellowship with, with Jesus. Sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, right? His dignity has been restored, been given back to him. And I think this would maybe be the best part for him, in his right mind, right? The disintegration of his mind has been, has been reintegrated and there's been freedom in his mental capacities, freedom and wholeness and integration. This beastly thing has been restored. The image of God has been restored in this man. And I want to just say, again, this is an extreme example, but it shows us what Jesus' endgame is. When he steps into a person's life with his power, his endgame in, in using his power is to bring about freedom, wholeness, reintegration, and restoration of who we were designed to be originally by God. Amen? Matthew 12, 29, Jesus says, How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. The idea being Satan is the strong man. And Satan has been working and, and running amok in people's lives. In this guy's life, he had utterly taken over. And how can you free this man unless there's a stronger man who comes and binds up that strong man? Then he can plunder that man's possessions. And Jesus is saying, that's what I'm doing in my ministry. I'm stepping into enemy territory, and I'm binding up the strong man because I'm much stronger, and I'm plundering his property, which are human beings, and I'm restoring them and bringing them back into God and his kingdom. This is what Jesus does. And this is what Jesus is still doing today. He's moving in this world through his power to bind up the strong man in people's lives and to restore them, to bring freedom and wholeness and transformation and the fruit of the Spirit to bring God's image bearers back into who they are supposed to be. And this is what Jesus has done in this room among us. Yes? And I want you to think right now of your own life and some of the strongholds, 
some of the places of bondage that you have experienced in your life, okay, and how Jesus has worked in those areas. And, and let me just kind of say this. Um, <laughs> demon possession is not the only way that people have bondage in their lives, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying like every place of bondage is because a demon is at work in you. The, the scriptures have a very uh, sophisticated concept of evil, and you find it in Ephesians 2, and it's this. There's the world, there's the flesh, and there's the devil. And so when you think of your own life, first there's the influences of the world that we find ourselves part of a broken system. Um, we have, there's, there's values that we are caught up in, uh, dysfunctional ways of being that just, this is kind of how we do things here, and we get caught up in that. Um, and then you have the flesh, right, your own natural proclivities and brokenness. I know a lot of us are like, hey, I don't need Satan to mess up my life. I'm, pr I'm pretty good at that myself, right? I, I can do a pretty good job of that myself. There's something about me that is broken in certain ways. And then you, and then you do have the devil. You have spiritual influence. And when those three things kind of converge in our lives, and they all do in very unique ways in each of our lives, those, those can become places of deep bondage and, and brokenness and, and shame. And so I'm asking you, where, what are those for you? Strongholds of brokenness, of, evil, of, of sin. And where have you seen Jesus bring healing and wholeness and transformation and freedom? And I'm going I'm to mention a couple examples. Um, not person, but I, for every one of these examples, I have specific names that I'm thinking of. Let me just give you ways that Jesus does this. Um, for some of you, Jesus has broken the bondage of lust. And you were, you, uh, at some point in your life, you went after something that felt like freedom, and you are now bound, or you were at a point bound by it, and Jesus has stepped into your life and brought freedom from that bondage. Um, some of you, uh, there's been a weight of shame and guilt in your life where something was done to you or you did some things that felt so broken that you lived for years under a weight of shame and guilt. And the grace of God has stepped into your life and brought freedom and healing in that area. Some of you have been addicted to alcohol and drugs or other substances and Jesus has stepped your life and freed you by power in a way that you could never have done for yourself. Thank you for that, TG. Some of you have been bound by fear and anxiety and an inability to trust in the goodness of God in your life. And over time, the gospel has made inroads in your life and you find yourself trusting God where you couldn't before. Um, some of you have been bound by other people's opinion of you, and you have given people power over you that doesn't belong to them, and God is at work freeing you from the approval of others to live out whatever he's calling you to do. Some of you have been bound by jealousy and a constant comparison of those around you, whether that's of their wealth, of their beauty, or of their relationships, and that really took you down, and God is starting to free you up to say, hey, you, you live your life. Do not worry about how everybody else looks. Um, some of you have been bound by your kids, and your kids have become your idols, and you're so worried 
about what's going to happen to your kids. And God is in the process of freeing you from that to actually entrust your children, whether young or adult, to God because they are his kids. Some of you have been caught up in greed and this desire for a certain standard of living and it has haunted you because you haven't achieved it or if you do, it just feels like it's so hard to just hold on to it. And God is starting to show you, actually, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Okay, I could go on and on and you guys could share your own stories. Um, But this is what Jesus is up to in the world. These things that seem to promise freedom Right and satisfaction, they bind us in ways that become bigger than we can handle. And then Jesus has the power to step into our lives and bring his healing and restoration. And many of you could testify in big and small ways to that restoration. So let's look at the end of this man's story. Um, It's very intriguing to me. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. Okay, that's the fourth begging we get in this passage. So he starts, it's amazing the transformation. He starts, he says, I beg you, don't torture me. Now he's saying, I beg you, don't leave me. Stay, I want to stay with you. And you can imagine, right? If you're this man, years of, of bondage to this crazy life, and here's the only man who has ever had the power and love to free you. I, I'm thinking, if I'm that man, I am never going to leave Jesus' side, Right? I am going to stay with this man. This man has changed my life, and I'm staying with him no matter what. Verse 39, here's Jesus' response. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. Um, I wonder if that man's heart sank a little bit when he heard that, right? But Jesus says, no, I I actually want you to go home. I'm, I'm sending you back into familiar places, and I imagine for this man, some of those, those could have been very broken, hard places to be. And Jesus says, I, I'm, I'm actually sending you back into those places. You have a story to tell. And uh, you have a transformed life to show. And I, I actually want you to go back into familiar places um, with the healing that I've brought and be a witness to me. And what we find out in this story is that the town doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. You know, they're going to send him, we're gonna, I want to talk about it in a second. They're going to send him away. And so they're left without a witness. And I think Jesus says, no, they're not left without a witness. I want you to stay here and be my witness in this place for the sake of this town. And I was thinking this week, you know, sometimes God heals us and changes us, and he sets us on a new trajectory. It's like, fresh start, I've got a new context and a new trajectory. And sometimes he heals us and changes us, and he says, I want to put you right back in your old familiar places, um, but with an with your new self there. And that can sometimes be a lot harder um, than, than the new. But oftentimes that's what we're called to do. All right, let's, I want to end this. I want to look at, I, I would be, I'd be remiss to end this without talking about the townspeople for a second, okay? So let's just think about this town. Uh, let me read verse 34 to 37 to you again. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found, found the man who, uh, whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the, de- the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat 
and left. Okay? Twice it says they, were, they saw this and they were afraid. They were overcome with fear. And I think there's two things that made them af- afraid. One is what Jesus did to this man. Okay, and I want you to just think about this. Okay, here's a man who no one's been able to help, who is so powerful and so broken and, and messed up, and yet this stranger comes in from the Sea of Galilee and has clearly this epic power to bring full restoration and health to this man. And so they see a man now clearly brought to healing and wholeness, but they also hear, feel a power that like they've never seen before and that feels totally out of their control. And they look at both of those things and they conclude, this is just too much. Like whatever this power is, we don't know. What, we don't know. We can't control. We don't, we don't know how we feel about this. And they decide this isn't worth it. Right? Imagine that. This clear evidence of healing and yet just the unpredictable, uncontrollable nature of this man who's done this, the power that he has. And they say, we'd rather just not de- deal with this man. And then I think also you have what happened to the pigs, right? And in Mark's gospel, it says uh, the people went back and they told them what Jesus had done to the man and what had happened to the pigs. And so I, I want you to imagine yourself as one of these townspeople, okay, going, hearing something happen and going out, walking along the Sea of Galilee, going out, and you see this man who is, after years, fully restored to health, and there's pig carcasses all over the seashore. Right? Like, you're like, what on earth just went down? Right? There's, there's, why are there pigs floating in the Sea of Galilee and dead on the, on the shore? And this man has been restored to sight. Now, pop quiz, uh, is this a Gentile town or a Jewish town? <laughs> Gentile town, very much, yeah. Jewish towns, no pigs in Jewish towns, right? Um, so this is also their economy, these pigs. Or at least it's somebody's livelihood in this place. And so they've, so you've got great healing, and you've got, oh my gosh, someone's just decimated part of our livelihood here. And um, I'm weighing all of this, and they're experiencing this in real time, and they just decide, this is just too much. We just, we just want you to go. Just go away. And, and Jesus um, honors that request. But you think about that. What the decision they're making, okay, they don't fully understand in the moment, they have in, in front of them the Messiah, the Son of God, with the power to heal and restore. But they also have a life that they've known that is comfortable and predictable and financially prosperous. And they look at both of those things in, in, a, in, in a gut decision, go like, we'll take this over this. And I think what a sad response and what a relatable <laughs> response that is. And I feel like that for many of us, like we would probably acknowledge, I, I believe God has power. Um, but if I'm honest, I, I don't know if I fully trust him with that power. Like, I don't know if I were just to kind of hand over my life. I'm, I'm, I don't feel, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm nervous that if I were to do that, I feel like he might actually really mess with my life. Like, he might start turning things over that uh, I would prefer to not have him do that. And, um, and for some of us, we would look at our lives and be like, I feel like God has messed with my life. Like, I actually feel like that's what's happened. And so there's, I have a fear that doesn't feel unfounded. And so we kind of do this dance with God where it's like, I believe in you, but how about you stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. 
and we'll kind of, I'll keep this here and you'll be there and I'll, I'll believe you for certain things and not for other things and um, I'll invite you into certain things and not other things and, um, and we'll do this. And, and what we forget in that, of course, is we forget the end game. <laughs> that God is always at work in his power in our lives to heal and restore. Um, sometimes, obviously, that means idols have to be, I guess, cast into the Sea of Galilee. Um, but his end game is always for our ultimate good. And so we need him to help us trust him uh, with his power in our lives. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. And uh, there's a lot there. But what I'd like to do is, is have just pause and create a little bit of space for us to um, do business with the Lord after hearing this. And I'm going to create two moments of space and after each one, um, I'm going to have, after the first one, I'm going to have Daniel Gaiman come up. He's one of our elders and pray for us. Uh, and then after the second one, I'm going to have Christina come back up and pray for us. So um, why don't we do this? If you would, if, if it's easy for you, why don't we close our eyes and we're going to go to God in prayer. And first, I want you to think about that, the, the man who is healed, the demon-possessed man. And this might sound like a funny question, but where do you find yourself? in him. Meaning, as you look at your life right now, where is there a place of bondage, of, um, of, of brokenness? We all have them. But as you look at your life right now, where is there something in your life where you would say, I have not been able to kick this or heal from this? I don't have it in myself. There's, this has had a power over me that at least up till now, I haven't been able to break. And maybe this morning, there's something that God is stirring in you that says, I'm ready for this to be broken. Lord, I'm, I'm ready for you to come with your power. In fact, I'm longing for you to come with your power and heal me and restore, and forgive, and cleanse. And take a moment and, and offer that, that thing, that space in your life that you're longing for him to do a fresh work of transformation. And just take a moment to, to offer that to him. And then Daniel will come and just pray into that for us. Father in heaven, what a, an amazing process you have entered into um, with those of us you've gifted to believe. And um, you're making us over. You're making us over in your image. Jesus, you live inside every one of us who has believed on your name and believed that you were risen from the dead. Holy Spirit, you are dwelling inside us, uh, looking for ways to make us more res resemble Jesus. And, and the work of doing that um, can be so difficult sometimes. We hang on to things because they th we think they comfort us. They think they protect us. What is the definition of a stronghold? It's a fortress. And we lock things in the fortress thinking, I've got this. Um, and we might do that for years, especially those of us who have followed you for a long time will hang on to things, not even realizing we're hanging on to something until that flashlight of the Holy Spirit illuminates it. And you say, I'll have that. And we can know, 
No, you, you, can't, you can't have that. Because without that, I won't be me. Let us see that the goal is not to be me. The goal is to be you. Uh, and how do you get out of a fortress? Well, maybe you need to overpower some of us. Invade. Break down those walls. Build the, get the siege ramps and everything else that's necessary to go after that stuff. Uh, Father, I pray for the courage um, and just the passion for you that will allow us to take those risks and say, you know, uh, whatever, whatever it takes, I will put myself on the line. I will die, uh, which you called me to do anyway, um, in order that you can do, continue to do this work. And it's hard work, and it's often painful work, and nobody wants to look into that, right? Um, I think that in the story, we were weighing uh, whether the healing is actually worth the price I'd have to pay. Father, I pray you pour out your spirit on us. Make us willing to pay the price, whatever it is you're coming after. And especially I pray for those who feel utterly helpless against the thing that has them snagged. Um, uh, it, that it's just they've cried out to you and they, um, they want to be different and, they, and they tr they're trying to control it themselves by their own steam, by their own power. I pray for those individuals this morning, Father, that you would just overwhelm them. Just pour out your spirit in such a way that they know it's you, they can't resist it, and they say yes. Um, invade those strongholds, Father, break them down. I think Paul talks about we demolish strongholds um, by the word of God. And I pray that you would use your word, empowered by your Holy Spirit, to make change and to draw people to yourself, to take that step toward deeper union with you, moving toward uh, a knowledge of you, with you, that surpasses anything else we could possibly desire or reach for. Uh, and Father, for those who are afraid, of the work that you might do, I pray that you would be merciful and remind them of how gentle you are um, at the end of the day. And you will deal with each one of us according to what we need because you know us. You made us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made by you, each of us uniquely. So we just, just lift up to you today, Father, and say, ah, search our hearts. Uh, test our anxious thoughts. And if you find anything that's offensive there, lead us in the way everlasting because we're often unwilling to go there ourselves. And we just praise you uh, this morning and we lift up ourselves to you, uh, asking that we, you would pull us even closer so we can be satisfied with you because your love is better than life. And so we praise you for that this morning, Father, in Christ's name, amen. So I wanna just... Go off of that, if you would, just let's continue in prayer. What Daniel just said, um, think about the townspeople for a second. And um, maybe where you would see yourself in them. And there are some places where we're ready for, for God to do work. And as Daniel was just saying, there's, there's other things that we would just say, do not touch this, Lord. You, this is off limits for you. And so I, I would invite you to consider... Is there something in your life that you're just like, no touch? God, you, you stay away from this. It could be you know, our wealth. It could be our, our kids, our family, our reputation. Um, but what is something that if you're, if you're really honest, you're like, you know what? Just stay away. 
from this, Lord? And what would it look like to even surrender not just the parts where we're ready for God to do work, but those parts of us that we deeply want to hold on to and keep our security and our kind of self-made um, security in. So take a moment, just to consider what that might be. And then Christine will come and pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are a God who heals, who restores, who redeems, who draws us out of the pit. And Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us things that we want to release to you, things that we want, we're desperate for you to come and heal. But Lord, we also acknowledge right now that there are things we are wanting to hold on to. We have a clenched fist. Father, I pray for each one of us, you would actually shine your light on those things right now. And Lord, I ask that you would help us unclench our fist and raise our hands to you and surrender and watch you do a work that only you can do. Father, we pray that you would expose those things that are desperate for your intervention. And Lord, as I think of the townspeople who are afraid, Lord, we pray that you would just release us from the fear that keeps us hanging on. That you would um, invade those parts of us that are afraid with your peace. Father, open us up. There are things in each one of us Open us up and let us experience and taste of your healing power in the places that we don't even want you. Actually, will you come and invade those very places even now in this moment? Change us, God, by the work of your spirit. Amen.